1: progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law
2: well i don't know about you i think we're on day three of rain and i'm pretty much done and i'm sure our next guest would like it to go away as well gassan corbin director of the sewage and water board joins us gassan welcome to the show thank you Noel.
3: Glad to be on your Look- show
2: Gassan, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for this rain to roll out, but we understand that they've got more today. It's been raining here in Metairie almost uh, all morning long and more through Friday and into Saturday morning. Where do we stand with the system?
3: Well, so far, so good, uh, Newell. We've fared well with uh, yesterday's rains. It wasn't uh, really much of a storm, but about uh, maybe half inch or a little bit more of rain, and we managed that. Uh, well, and so far today we're keeping up, and I know there's another round of heavy rains coming this afternoon, and then we're gonna get a break, which uh, is always welcome because it allows us to um, catch up and draw the levels of the canals down to allow us for, you know, creating more storage for the next round, which is tomorrow, and then like you said, Saturday. So, um, so so far so good. We have about. 40 megawatts of power, and that's, you know, uh, more than enough for uh, what we've faced so far.
2: Um, and how many of the pumps are actually, uh, I know there's always one or two down. Where are we as it relates to pumps?
3: Uh, we're at 93 uh, drainage pumps out of the, the over the total of 99. Uh, so it's a slightly lower number than uh, we've been running, but uh, nothing, you know, majorly uh, concerning. Um, so we're obviously trying to get bring those back uh, to operations as soon as we can. But with 93s, we, we seem to be uh, keeping up and managing.
2: And, Ghassan, how did the system do uh, relative to the freeze? I mean, it, it's always a problem when you have water and pipes. How did you all
3: fare out? that uh, That was a very uneventful situation for us, and you know due in a huge part to our customers who uh, you know listened to our warnings and uh they followed instructions by running one faucet in their in their homes uh, to trickle you know pencil pin, and we did not have any uh, major fluctuation in pressure we certainly had fluctuation in production which was an indication that people are were running their their faucets slightly uh but we kept up with the pressure and the demand and um you know it was all behind us uh we probably got less than 200 calls all in all uh from customers who had uh, frozen pipes on their property and you know we uh either walked them through what they could do or they hired a plumber and um again you know recovered so it was all in all a fairly uneventful event so it's good
2: i think earlier this week you made a presentation to the board to talk about the 2023 year in review and looking forward to 2024 as to what y'all were looking to accomplish one thing that kind of struck me and of course we just experienced this in jefferson parish with a water main and We're in our second day of disruption waiting on on the uh, the water quality report from, I guess, DEQ or whoever does it, um, that in 2023, uh, your report said that you all had one thousand two hundred and sixty two water main repairs. That's a big, big number, huh?
3: Uh, certainly is. It's higher than the national average, and you know, it's again, it's an indication of our aid system. <clears throat> Not surprising at all. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, I mean, we're we're keeping up and trying to keep the the system uh, obviously operational. But like I say, uh, a repaired water main, old water main, it remains old water main, and uh, you know, we we tend to ch- keep chasing these. Uh, breaks on these aged water mains and until we replace them uh, that will continue to uh, obviously tax the system uh, degrade it even more and obviously you know absorb a lot of resources that we're throwing away just to keep the system uh, intact and uh, un- so we can provide uninterruptible uh, service to uh, to our customers Um You know, at the end of the day, we lack the funding to have a meaningful, meaning in in size and steadiness and consistency a replacement cycle uh, of 30 or 40, um, you know, miles of water main every year to bring it to a, you know, a a place where it it needs to be, um, you know, in terms of reliability, cost effectiveness, uh, quality of life. All those things are, uh, you know, driven by a, a system that is, is invested in and, and improved. And in our case, again, you know, you know the, the, you drive the city and you see leaks everywhere, and that's because the age is just, um, I've used the number of 500 mile, miles of our, 1,600 miles of water mains are 100 years or older. They're in the ground serving our community, and they just can't expect that system to serve us forever.
2: Yeah, you know, it struck me, um, obviously, because of the most recent happenstance in Jefferson Parish, they were talking about this plan that they're they're putting forward um, in replacing water mains that were, were put in the ground in the 1960s. And then, you know, you, you look at some of the reporting on, on the system and the conversations that you and I have had. Uh, in the city, there was stuff put in the ground in the 1920s, you know, that's still <laughs> being required. And, and And some of it hadn't been touched since the 1920s. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of remarkable when you think about it.
3: I mean, it is remarkable that we are still – are able to use the system the way it is i mean 100 year old mains should not be in the ground serving you know carrying water but it is and but not without a lot of uh uh maintenance and and repairs that we you know we're we're constantly chasing you know it's not happening just because it's happening because we are putting a lot of resources to keep those mains um again uh, running and uh, at the end of the day, uh, the city is enjoying an uninterrupted service, you know, uh, virtually, uh, you know, in a, in a constant fashion. So we're we're proud of that, but we can't lose uh, sight of the fact that we need to invest in in our infrastructure. I mean, it's whether it's water mains, whether it's canals, you know, not not just widening canals and improving capacity, but also. Moving sediments from bottom of canals that are, you know, foot two three feet deep that you know take away capacity that obviously hinders and impedes flow and you know minimize the amount of water we can carry at a given time. So I mean the need is great and it's it's across the entire utility and our job is to continue to highlight that and ultimately you know bring to the table a a way to bring revenue that's uh, based on a fair and equitable uh, process and system you know people get the benefit of the services and you know and pay for it accordingly
2: and you've said this before a lot of this is not rocket science right there are national measures of you know piping that needs to be replaced that's at certain ages and things of that nature do we meet? Do we reach any of those measures, as it relates to rehabilitative efforts of the system and maintenance of the system?
3: I mean, unfortunately, generally speaking, we 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 don't because we are so far behind. And you know, to catch up, you have to have a much much more intense uh, program to allow you to catch up. I mean, if we have been investing steadily we would be in a, in a good shape and then would be just routine, you know, maybe 10 to 20 miles a year, if that. Uh, but because we are so far behind, 30 or 40 is, is a minimum to to allow us to catch up. Um, I mean, one thing we have that's fairly standard is that we have a, a storm system that's designed for a 10-year storm. That's just a, a generic term for, you know... Um, a, very, a fairly average storm, and, um, you know, we, we are able to manage that much like any other city. But in other cities, if they face a 100-year a storm or 25-year storm, they end up with water flooding streets and property at times as well, like, like we do. So that piece is maybe comparable to other other cities. The only difference, as you know, is we have the most Active drainage system versus a passive, where just you know, storm pipes carry water and you know, daylight it in rivers or lakes. In our case, we have to physically pump,
2: yeah. Um, so when we look at 2024, uh, and and some of the priorities, I know you and I have talked about this before with uh, smart meters, and I and I I think that that's an important initiative because I really believe it it helps restore and build confidence, uh, the public's confidence in the system, just to get that accurate billing thing done. Uh, And it looks like y'all are well on your way uh, to reaching a number of important milestones that y'all have uh, uh, placed on yourselves. Um, uh, Are you feeling good about 2024 and where you're going to be with these smart meters?
3: Uh, I think so, and that's that's based on the fact that we have been very methodical, and, you know, I call it maybe slow uh, rollout to make sure everything we're doing uh, is done right, is done seamlessly, and uh, all the uh, pieces are interacting, and especially the softwares are interfacing properly. Um, so we are set out, you know, for uh, doing a, about half of the uh, inventory or the population of our um uh, uh, you know residential uh about seventy five thousand of them so that that's gonna be a remarkable achievement um and i w- I'm very confident that we're gonna get there. The one thing that we discussed last time I was on your show is how do we transition from the old system and if you had a clean uh account and no outstanding bills and we transition to a new one that's you know uh, di- driven by the smart meter. The only issue is maybe some of the uh, accuracy is going to possibly bring that consumption uh, level to slightly higher, and that's routine that happens in every system that goes through that uh, transition from old manual to uh, automated. Uh, so that we're we're going through that process now to make sure that you know everything is is not beyond you know the the ordinary but the the major concern we have is that how do we clean up accounts so we can enjoy a kind of a, a new page in terms of uh, or new chapter with clean consistent uh, accurate builds from the time we flip, we flip that meter on uh, for a customer so that's what we're spending a lot of time on working with our customers to make sure that you know, the the old um, and then they may call it laundry is not carried through and con- contaminating the new system because then then we're back to square one.
2: Right. A lot of people don't realize that this is like, uh, you know, part of this infrastructure is you're building a communication system across the city as well, right? And I think y'all have completed 11 of 12 base stations, which allows. This wireless communication to go on with to the smart meters.
3: Absolutely, I mean that's exactly what it is. Is that uh, it's basically cell phones in each of the uh, or cell phone like uh, mechanism that will sit in each meter, transmitting the reads on a regular basis. And the uh, eleven out of the twelve so far, uh, base stations allow that communication to happen. And I think it's noteworthy to to share that. The, that network has, uh, in most cases, three redundancies or three ability, I guess, two backup systems to the one primary uh, setup in terms of communication. So if one antenna goes down, a meter has the ability to use the second one. If that second one goes down, we have ability to use the third one. So in many cases, we have triple coverage. In some, we have two. But no nowhere where you only have one uh way to communicate because that's crucial because we can't we can't have that link missing link exist and otherwise you know it will render the meters basically silent and that would defeat the purpose
2: i think of the proposed uh, improvements in 2024 that y'all uh, would like to start to embark on uh, relative to stormwater uh, management drainage uh, y'all have about 7% of the financing uh, of the funds available, 93% short. Um, in 2024, uh, will there be increased conversation about this stormwater fee proposal that's been floating around for a while?
3: I, I would certainly hope so. I mean, I think uh, all the reasonable people who are involved, uh, you know, have reached the conclusion that something needs to be done. And I truly believe that this is a year where uh, all the stakeholders, uh, and I don't want to speak for anybody in particular, that there's an appetite to develop a uh, a structure that's more fair and equitable where everybody who enjoys the benefits and the services of our drainage system uh, uh, contributes to that system. Um, Many properties uh, today enjoy that. The benefit because the runoff from their property is captured by our system, and we drain it, and they, uh, you know, their property is is protected with really zero contribution to that service. And there's something just wrong about that. And uh, we we believe that the, the drainage system is subsidized by a, you know a, a set of or you know a subset of the tax-paying community, and you know something needs to be corrected. And and the only way to do it is uh, create a, a alternative way to charge folks for the service via a fee, rather than the millage system that we currently rely on for for our drainage. So I'm 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 hopeful, and I I honestly believe that uh, the the right people will be in the room developing a very uh, thoughtful. Proposal for the public to weigh in at one point, hopefully sooner rather than later.
2: We have about a minute. Final thoughts.
3: Um, I, again, I'm I'm very hopeful about 2024. I think it's going to be a transformational year. Uh, we're keeping keeping the momentum on a lot of the projects that we set out to do in 23, and uh, we're excited. Uh, whether it's the power complex, or the smart meters, uh, keeping up with our backlog for. Um the surface cuts, improving our customer service uh, uh you know, levels and improving our billing with our community is just is top priority and uh, we're 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 on the right track. So we're we're feeling very confident.
2: Well thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate the update. Gasan Corbin, director of the sewage and water board. Um hopefully this rain stops soon. <laughs> I'm done with it. <laughs> yep.
3: Same here.
2: Thank you so much. All righty. We'll be right back, folks. When we return, we'll visit with Ron Fauché, political analyst and publisher of Lunchtime Politics.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
2: Welcome back, folks. We are joined by Ron Fauché, political analyst and publisher of Lunchtime Politics. Ron, welcome to the show.
4: Well, thank you. Happy to be with you, Newell.
2: So, Ron, we have the Iowa caucuses behind us. Trump wins convincingly. We have New Hampshire behind us. Uh, Trump wins uh, with over 50 percent of the vote there as well. And uh, he seems pretty irritated that Nikki Haley's not wa- waving the white flag yet.
4: He is, and, and it's not surprising that he is. Uh, his, his best strategy would probably be to ignore and, um, and, and, and just go defeat her in South Carolina and get it over with. But, but that's not how he is, so that's Donald Trump.
2: It seems, though, to have ruffled the feathers of a number of folks within the Republican circles that he kind of, you know, really went on an attack of Nikki Haley, even you know, uh, (laughs) criticizing her dress. I mean, (laughs) and uh, and is trying to resurrect the uh, the Rhino mantra. Uh, And I'm not so sure that the uh, uh, you know that the basic Republican principles and where Donald Trump stands on a lot of issues aren't alignment either.
4: Well, you know, that's the sort of thing that Donald Trump has been doing since he got in the first race for president in 2015. Uh, He's made these kinds of comments about his opponents. And, uh, you know, uh, according to Donald Trump's mind, he looks back and says, well, it always worked. Um, You know, he wiped out Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz and, and all these other candidates along the way. And, uh, and it's worked for him. So, so he keeps doing it. And as it stands now, he's likely to win the South Carolina primary and he's likely to, to put this nomination uh, in his pocket very soon.
2: Well, you and I've talked about this before. That's all fine and dandy when you're talking about the primaries. But when you get into the general, it's all about those that fall in the middle. Um, history has a tendency to repeat itself. The middle never really did embrace that caustic, abusive approach that he takes with other candidates. And, you know, talking about loyalty um, with him, it's almost a one-way street. It's loyal to him and not him so much loyal to anybody else. Um I don't see that that's going to change, do you?
4: No, it's not going to change, and and it's a, a reason why uh, he has never gotten the majority of the popular vote, or has never even won the popular vote. The first time when he was elected president, he was elected based on the electoral votes; he lost the popular vote, uh, and and this last time he lost the popular vote by even a, a bigger margin. So. So you're right. I mean, his, his style and approach uh, is winning him Republican nominations, but it's not winning the swing voters in the middle, and he has to rely on a sort of a, uh, a, a, exactly the right combination of electoral votes to have a, a, a shot. The, but, you know, the, the big problem of this is, is ultimately for the Republican Party, because when you have Donald Trump, who has that big negative like that, uh, even though he's able to pull out some close wins as he as he, he did the first time uh, he's never getting the kind of mandate he's never getting the kind of majority that a Republican president needs to, to really govern the country in a conservative way that uh, that it lasts for for a time uh, a lot of the things that Trump did uh, in his first term uh, were never fully done, never fully accomplished. Some of it had to be done by uh, executive orders because he, he didn't have the majorities in Congress that he needed. And, uh, and it's likely that that would happen again. So if Republicans really wanted to put one away and, and win a, a decisive victory, uh, it's not likely they could do it with Donald Trump.
2: So what do you think about the strategy with Nikki Haley? I mean, I, I, I always try to put myself in the shoes of, of the individual in, in assessing it. And I and I always hearken back to um, the Ellender Johnson, Bennett Johnson situation here in the state of Louisiana. And I think you have a lot of those same ingredients working here, do not do you not? Yeah,
0: uh, I
4: mean, I think you do. Uh, you know, he risks. Um, uh, making uh, you know, making it look like he's being unfair and uh, in, a, in an ugly way against against uh, Haley, and uh, and that could give her some some help, particularly in a home state situation. But um, but it, it you know it probably won't make a whole lot of difference in the end. Um, you know. Trump has proven himself to be sort of immune to the the normal rules of politics. And, you know, people that I know and you know who have been around politics for a long time, you know, uh, are just flabbergasted by the things he does and politically gets away with. Now, you know, there there are limits to that, as we said. Um, you know, his his rule of the Republican Party hasn't been so good in terms of, of electing big majorities in Congress, where they could do the things they want to do, but uh, but it tends to be enough to get him what he needs at that point. And uh, uh, he's probably at a at a point now where uh, he he he's going to win the nomination no matter what mistakes he makes. And the only thing that that would could hurt him from winning the nomination or keep him from winning is if there's at some point before the July convention, he's convicted on a whole bunch of serious felonies, and, uh, and the Republican Party might look at this and say, well, he can't win, so we need to nominate somebody else. But but that would have to be done with Trump supporters. I mean, there wouldn't be enough non-Trump supporters to be able to do it.
2: But what when you look at the polling, a lot of Republicans, I think the majority, um, the majority um, in one of your publications talked about the problem if there was an ultimate conviction either prior to the election or even post-election. It seems to me there's a lot of risk there. I, I don't. And I, I don't have. I don't have a high confidence level as to a lot of these chart of the ninety something whatever charges that 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 they're gonna convict him on. Um, that that he will be convicted. But if convicted, a lot of risk for the Republican
4: Party. It's a tremendous risk. Uh, And and here's how it's a tremendous risk. Uh, The polls show that upwards of 30 percent of the Republican electorate in the country, and I said Republican electorate, not the whole electorate, said that they wouldn't vote for Trump if he was a convicted felon. So people will say, well, they're not going to vote for Biden, and that's true. They may not vote for Trump or Biden, but the risk Republicans and Trump has there is that if a large segment of the Republican electorate, and 30 percent may not seem that large, but in a close presidential election, you know, Trump got 94 percent of the Republican vote and Biden got 94 percent of the Democratic vote in the last election. So if if Trump is losing 30 percent of the Republican vote, uh, then that means it's highly unlikely he could get a majority uh, or or win the popular vote. It's highly unlikely he would win enough states to win the election. And so you say, well, where are the votes going to go? I agree. A lot of those votes aren't going to go to Biden because most Republicans really dislike Biden. That those votes would go to third-party candidates, Robert or Kennedy, for
2: example. Well, if they know, don't vote, it hurts them too, right? I mean, you know, there was, four, there was a There was a what was it? Forty-four thousand vote separation in the general last time. Was it that? Was That's it about forty-four well, thousand? Well, uh, uh,
4: yeah. yeah, well, well, in terms of popular vote, popular vote, yeah, yeah. Well, in terms of popular votes, Biden won by about seven million. But, uh, but in those key states, if you moved, yeah. I, I think it was something forty to 50,000 votes right. from Biden to Trump, he would have won. Of course, the same thing would have been true four years earlier if you had moved forty or 50,000 votes in the sure. right states sure. from, from Hillary Clinton. She would have won. But, but the point is, is that uh, Donald Trump cannot afford to lose 30 percent of his Republican base in a general election however he loses it whether he loses it to people staying home or whether he loses it to say a candidate like robert kennedy or people voting for a no labels candidate or whatever it may be and uh and that's the risk that the republicans have it and uh and it you know can there be a guilty verdict between now and november the answer is yes it's possible i mean the criminal lawyers here in town tell me that that they don't, you know, that there's so many ways you you can delay these trials and push these trials back that they don't think they didn't think there would be a a trial or a verdict in time to keep him from winning the nomination, which may be true, but you know we have all the way until November at this point, and it's mm-hmm. possible that you could have one or two of those trials be conducted and completed and uh, and, if, and if he is convicted, uh, it's a whole new ball game. That's why I'm saying if, if that could happen before the Republican convention and all of a sudden you know the polls that are now showing uh, Trump winning, beating Biden by four or five points all of a sudden start showing Biden beating Trump by 15 points. And Republicans might say, wait a minute, we're about to walk into a disaster here. And then, you know, and it goes even beyond the election. You know, what happens if he's convicted after the election, between then and the time he takes office? Uh, What happens if he's convicted uh, during a presidential term? Uh, What happens if he's convicted if he loses the presidency? And uh, what does that do to the Republican Party? If, if, the, if Biden wins and then Trump is convicted and, and isn't even a candidate anymore, it even adds to the problems that the Republicans have. So, so you're 100 percent right. I mean, the, the, the Republican Party is taking a big, big risk with, uh, with Donald Trump. You know, they want Donald Trump. They, they feel like he's earned their support. But uh, but it's a it's a big risk they're taking.
2: Not to mention. I, I, uh... And we'll, why don't we pick up there when we come back after the break? We're visiting with Ron Fauché, political analyst and publisher of Lunchtime Politics. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us.
0: We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch.
2: We're back with Ron Fauché, political analyst and publisher of Lunchtime Politics. Ron, typically you run with the hopes of serving two terms, eight years. In this particular case with Trump, he can only serve one term. And if we don't increase the margin in the House and possibly take back the Senate, you know as well as I, all of these confirmations of putting together your administration and everything the same way that that uh, the Republicans were guilty of slow walking it before. You're going to see that same tack being taken by the Democrats, and we could be two years into this administration and still not everybody, have everybody in place.
4: Uh, that can very well happen, and uh, and and that's one of the problems of being a lame duck. It's one of the problems of having a president who serves a term, is out a term, and then comes back and serves a term. Uh And you also have the second term, you know, uh, blues that that applies. Most presidents do better in their first terms than their second terms. Of course, that could apply to both Trump and to uh, Biden. But um, so, so the next, uh, you know, the next four years, uh, you know, it could be a, a, a tough time in this country because all the problems we have been having with political party polarization and paralysis, not getting things done, uh, could be worsened by this, not improved.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 status quo for me on a number of issues is not acceptable. Um, there are a lot of things that are going on right now that just absolutely drive me crazy. And I, and I get why, you know, th- there's a change that, that people desire to have. But you got to take calculated risks, and, and this risk, for me, just seems to be too, too high and not in the best interest of the party. And um, I've said that in the way that we've conducted our, our endorsements here in the Republican Party in Louisiana, and I, and I feel the same way nationally about we're not being smart uh, and we're not thinking long-term at all. We're thinking for the moment.
4: I say I agree with you. I think that's a real problem for a political party, and uh, and we've seen it locally, uh, and and we're about to see it in in mega dimensions at the national level. Yeah, it'll
2: be interesting. We'll touch base after some more of these get behind us. Obviously, South Carolina, the big one looming out there. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate your time and your insight. Have a great week. Thanks. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Scoot's up next, and he joins us. What do we have coming up, Scoot? Well, I will talk about uh, the NRA pushing a bill that would allow teachers to have guns in classrooms. Um, this is not a new idea, but this is something that's being pushed in, uh, in Idaho. And, and we'll talk about it. And the, the, the person behind the bill is saying this is the strongest shield against evil. Also, actress Sophia v- Viguera is talking about two big things that helped her get in the door early in her career. And they're still, her. they're still big. Um Also, Jessica Biel does something in the shower that personally I think is disgusting. She says it's deeply satisfying. So we'll talk about that. And um, also uh, the, the movie Oppenheimer for baby boomers. Did that uh, bring back uh, trauma from growing up in the Cold War? I'm going to have to lighten my topics up a little bit. I like these. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned. Scoots up next. Got a great lineup coming your way. Hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll see you again in the
0: morning. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours